Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. and thank you for joining us for CN's third quarter 2020 earnings call. I would like to remind you about the comments already made regarding forward-looking statements. With me today is J.J. Ruet, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Ghislain Hull, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Rob Riley, our Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Keith Reardon, our Senior Vice President, Consumer Product Supply Chain, and James Cairns, our Senior Vice President, Rail-Centric Supply Chain. I do want to remind you to please limit yourself to one question so that everyone has the opportunity to participate in the Q&A session. The IR team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to CN's President and Chief Executive Officer, J.J. Ruet. Well, thank you, Paul, and thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. Uh, we hope you're enjoying a safe, safe uh, fall and making sure that all of your family is staying in good health. The economy recovery is underway. Looking back at Q2, the team acted very swiftly thanks to our very engaged and adaptable CN railroaders. They are truly some of the essential services hero of this pandemic. Q3 was a quarter of sequential recovery. The recovery is underway since the month of July. The operating matrix are improving. We brought many of our employees back to active service, and we added train start. And kudos to the entire team for producing an operating ratio of 59.9. The recovery has a different mix of business. Some market recovered fast in V-shape. Some market have yet to recover. All of this evolved into a different mix of revenue ton mile as compared to the pre-pandemic, with a significant decline in crude and significant increase in Canadian grain. Sea and rail capacity is precious, and the team, as always, is proactively making decisions so the right value quality freight is on our network in the quarters to come and to ensure that we optimize the return of our investment in the business and our return to shareholders. We consistently target same-store price ahead of rail inflation, and we achieved that in the third quarter again. Our focus remains very much on the long-term strategy on the positive secular train that we intend to ride. For example, the growing North American consumer economy, the secular shift to East Coast trade, the unique cost and service mode of the Rupert Gateway. And all of that while being very aware and preparing for the upcoming long-term disruptors like driverless truck and the battle for control of the freight sales by competing channel. On that note, I will pass it on to Rob. Rob? All right. Thank you, JJ. And uh, I also want to thank our team of essential railroaders for their efforts, not only this past quarter, but since the pandemic started in keeping the critical supply chain open in North America. We really have not missed a beat, and that is a credit to the men and women of CN. As JJ mentioned, we saw a sequential recovery month over month during the third quarter, and the team quickly adapted in right-sizing resources to the demand along the way. We have brought back crews, locomotives, and cars to handle the volumes, but our discipline throughout this pandemic and our structural changes implemented means that we're able to move similar volumes this year versus last year with lower labor costs. Over the past several months, we've idled multiple locomotive shops and switching yards that have remained closed. We completed consolidation of our Canadian dispatch offices from three offices into one location in Edmonton, which allows us to run the network more efficiently. During the quarter, we were able to reduce our crew starts by 14%, while our volumes dropped 7%. Our focus on increasing train length paid off as we increased train length 6% during the quarter, allowing us to move more freight with fewer crew starts. 
As volumes return during the quarter, we've also seen our key metric on car velocity improve since the end of July by 25% as our network remains very fluid going into the winter months. The team's efforts on fuel efficiency continue to pay off as we set new all-time records for fuel efficiency in every month in the third quarter, leading to a new best-ever quarterly record. Our efforts so far this year have saved close to $35 million in fuel expense and avoided over 162,000 tons of CO2 emissions from our fuel efficiency initiatives alone. We are the North American railroad leader in locomotive fuel efficiency, and we have every intention of maintaining that leadership. Our efforts underpin our firm belief that rail is part of the climate solution and recognizes that the best way to reduce our carbon footprint is to continuously improve our fuel efficiency. As planned, we increased our engineering work block production with unit costs for rail and tie installation declining due to discipline execution of our engineering teams and dispatch centers. This has allowed us to get the work done at lower cost with fewer resources needed. Most importantly, I'm pleased to report the team's relentless focus on safety through the pandemic has resulted in both our personal injury ratio and train accident ratio improving by 19 and 22% respectively, as running a safe railroad for our employees, our customers, and the communities we operate in remains as a core value in everything we do. Despite the volume fluctuations we have seen, we have pushed forward our agenda on the modernization of our railroad operations on everything from robotic process automation of everyday tasks to the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence in how we inspect our tracks and cars. Our autonomous track inspection program is entering into phase two in the U.S. and our cars are now covering our core routes every week from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean and down to the Gulf of Mexico, making our railroads safer, unlocking capacity and reducing costs. The railroad is fluid and prepared for the winter season ahead and the record grain harvest is evidenced by the fact that the CN team has now delivered seven consecutive all-time monthly records for the movement of Canadian grain. And we're on track to deliver an eighth straight record month here in October. As I turn this over to James, let me reiterate that we remain nimble and responsive to aligning resources to demand and maintaining the very positive momentum on fuel and labor productivity. With that, I'll turn it over to James. Thank you, Rob. During Q3, we experienced a V-shaped recovery in our ports business, lumber, and automotive, while we saw weakness in crude, frac sand, and refined petroleum products. Demand for Canadian grain, which is not tied to the economy, hit record levels, and as Rob said, we delivered, setting seven consecutive monthly records. As we manage through this uneven recovery, we will drive hard on key markets, including Canadian grain, Canadian coal, and propane. Let me now discuss in further detail some of the topics on the carload side of the business. As I mentioned, Canadian grain continues to be a bright spot for CN, with our best third quarter volume on record, beating the previous best in 2014 by 13%. U.S. grain was also very strong and finished well ahead of last year. Canadian coal was negatively impacted by the temporary closure of CST and Coal Valley Mines and the permanent closure of Tech Cardinal River Mine. Forest products ramped up sharply in Q3 as our customers brought back idle capacity to take advantage of strong construction activity. Crude, frac sand, and refined petroleum products, which are long-haul, heavy tonnage segments, were the weak outliers in Q3, contributing to the shift in our overall business mix for the quarter. The positive momentum we saw in Q3 will help us finish the year out strong and position us well for 2021. We are the dominant player in the Canadian forest products market and see an outweighted benefit as this market recovers. We have brought back all the lumber cars that were in storage and we recently added 500 additional lease cars to meet spot demand at auction prices. Canadian grain and U.S. grain are expected to be growth drivers in Q4 and 2021. The Canadian crop may hit an all-time record and the U.S. crop is expected to be above average. The step function change in grain supply chain capacity has been years in the making, and we are investing alongside our customers. 
We have purchased 2,500 new high-capacity grain hoppers, and our customers have also invested a new private fleet of similar high-payload cars. By the end of Q1 next year, we will have over 4,200 new high-capacity hopper cars cycling on our network. We also expect to take advantage of the 50% increase in grain West Coast export capacity, all exclusively and physically served by CN, allowing us to move more grain faster using fewer resources. Our Three Coast network reach is a long-term structural advantage that cannot be replicated. Propane export volume through Prince Rupert will continue to ramp up, and U.S. coal volumes will grow in Q4, driven by new pet coke volume moving from Chicago to the U.S. Gulf Coast for export. International demand for wood pellets as a green fuel alternative is also strong, and we see this market as a unique opportunity for CN, with several new production projects in the work. We maintain a disciplined approach to pricing and upscaling our portfolio of customers and commodities to ensure the right value freight is running on our network. We are focused on managing mix in the face of a recovery that has not been consistent across segments. With that, I'll turn it over to Keith. Thanks, James. Our engagement with our customers' supply chains enabled CN to fully participate in the strong recovery of the third quarter. Whether international or domestic originated supply chains, or the grocery business, the home improvement retailers, e-commerce, or bricks and mortar retail restocking, we were there to support all segments of the V-shaped bounce back in those markets. As auto manufacturing accelerated, we successfully enabled our customers to meet the pent-up demand in North American markets. In Q3, our overall business mix was impacted by a surge in container imports on both the West Coast and the East Coast. Our year-over-year volume growth on the West Coast was driven from from several of our ocean customers as they moved business from other gateways and supply chains. The work stoppage at the Port of Montreal created opportunities for other East Coast gateways, leading to strong import volumes in Halifax and St. John. It also benefited our CSX steel wheel interchanges from the ports of New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia. We did experience a temporary and significant imbalance in traffic in Q3 as the rapid surge in imports was not yet matched with the loaded exports. We also experienced additional temporary imbalances related to the Port of Montreal disruption. In automotive, We were faced with short-term headwinds as some manufacturers were shut down with retool for new new models. Opening in December, our new auto compound in New Richmond, Wisconsin, will serve the Minneapolis marketplace. And based upon strong feedback from our ocean customer base, we will also be providing intermodal service to that terminal as well. As the North American consumer market evolves, we continue to focus our efforts on yield and its many levers. Technology advancements that we shared with you at our 2019 Investor Day are producing ongoing safety, security, and productivity benefits in chassis, containers, and cranes. Our ongoing efforts to continuously upscale our business and price above rail inflation will continue to improve our intermodal and automotive business margins as the consumer-based economy strengthens in North America. Joint work with our supply chain partners to invest in the long-term future of our ecosystems continues, including with GCT at Delta Port and DP World at Centrum and Prince Rupert to deliver those expansion plans over the next couple of years. Long-standing successful beneficial cargo owner relationships and service will continue to drive volumes through whatever waves that the economy presents us with in 2021. I will now pass it on to Gislan for the financial perspective. Thanks, Keith, and good evening, everyone. My comments will start on page 10 of the presentation with highlights of our third quarter performance. Throughout the quarter, as we saw sequential improvements in volumes each month, we remained disciplined and focused on tightly controlling our costs. We continue to adjust our resources for the recovery in certain markets while being mindful of the mid- to long-term opportunities that are in front of us. 
Revenues for the quarter were down 11% versus last year at just over $3.4 billion. Volumes in terms of RTMs were down 7%, while revenue per RTM was down 3%, impacted by significant changes in business mix. Operating income was almost $1.4 billion, down 15% versus last year. Our operating ratio was 59.9%, up 200 basis points versus last year. Net income was $985 million, down $210 million versus last year, with diluted EPS of $1.38, 17% lower than last year. Foreign exchange had no material impact on our financial results in the quarter. Turning to page 11, let me highlight a few of our key expense categories. Labor and fringe benefit expense was 5% lower than last year. This was mostly driven by 15% lower average headcount in the quarter versus the prior year, partly offset by higher incentive compensation related to period-over-period adjustments to accruals. Purchase services and material expense was 11% lower than last year. This was mostly the result of lower outsourced services, lower trucking and transload expenses, and lower material costs. Fuel expense was 33% lower than last year, driven by a 26% decrease in price, 9% lower workload, and an all-time record quarterly fuel efficiency. Now moving to cash on page 12. Free cash flow was close to $2.1 billion through the end of September, almost $600 million higher than the same period last year, resulting in a significant year-over-year improvement in free cash flow conversion. Our year-to-date free cash flow performance is very solid, and we fully expect to achieve an excess of the $2.5 billion in free cash flow for the year. At the end of Q3, our leverage in terms of adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA was 2.17 times, slightly higher than our two times target, And for financial prudence, the company will continue to pause its share repurchases. We will, of course, reassess on an ongoing basis. As you will recall, we withdrew our full-year guidance on our Q1 earnings call. Given that we now have nine months of actuals and that we report weekly volumes, we see limited value in reinstating our guidance at this time. That being said, with the volume recovery that we have seen sequentially, And the good momentum so far in Q4, we are aiming to provide annual guidance for 2021 on our upcoming January call. We continue to reward our shareholders with consistent dividend growth. To conclude, as we are experiencing a sequential improvement in key markets, we continue to tightly control costs as volumes rebound, and we are seeing good momentum in operation. We are supporting the volume recovery in certain markets, and we remain confident in our ability to, develop, uh, to deliver value to our long-term shareholders. And on this note, back to you, JJ. Thank you, Zislay. Thank you, Zislay. I'm going to wrap this up quickly so we can go to your uh, question. In the second quarter, kudos to our women and men at CN. We demonstrated our res- resiliency. In the third quarter, we experienced a recovery of a different kind of business, which impacted our new mix of business, and the commercial team is proactively managing for the right book of business to be running on our railroad. Going forward, capacity is valuable again to deliver good long-term value for our shareholders. So Patrick, we're gonna turn back to questions. Thank you, please press star one at this time if you have a question. The first question is from Ken Hexter from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hey, um, good afternoon, Ken. Good afternoon, uh, thanks, JJ. Um, you know, I guess just want to hit on that last point. You know, I guess just Lane, you talked about if you're seeing some improving performance, maybe just to step back and, and think about your your why pause on the share repurchases or or what's magical about the two times debt EBITDA. I just want to understand the, the confidence you have in the in the sequential growth you're seeing and and the acceleration we should expect into into four Q and into the into twenty one. Just Lane. Yeah, thanks, Ken, for the question. Listen, um, I think we, we see uh, the recovery uh, loud and clear in certain key markets, and I know Keith and, and James t- touched upon it. As you know, Ken, we've always used share buyback as a, um, as a very flexible tool to get to a targeted leverage level. And, you know, our, our targeted leverage level has always been 
you know, internally, and we've communicated this to the market 1.7 to 1.9 times. So in my remarks, I rounded it to two. And, and I think we're comfortable. And since we're already over the two times, we're at 2.17, as I alluded, uh, at the end of uh, Q3, I think that, you know, we, we think we're in the right position. And, and frankly, we like to have a strong balance sheet. We saw that loud and clear in the second quarter going through this pandemic. I mean, it created a lot of benefits for us. I mean, as, as you know, uh, we went out to the market and actually issued a 600 U.S. million dollar 30-year paper or bond at 2.45%, which was the lowest, the second lowest uh, coupon of any corporate in the U.S. So, so we see value in having a, a strong balance sheet. Uh, you're right. The um, the target, the uh, the 2.25 is the limit that we have that supports our credit rating. Um, so you know, targeting around two is is good. And we feel good about that, so uh, stay tuned. But it's the fact that, that we're not reinstating at this point our share buyback is far from being uh, a lack of confidence in, in us looking at the recovery. Uh, it's just because, again, we're, we're where we are, a little higher, and, uh, and stay tuned for what we're going to do for 2021. Thank you, Ken. Thanks. Thanks, JJ. Thank you. The next question is from Sherilyn Radborn from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Hello, Thanks very much, and good afternoon. Um, in terms of the V-shaped volume recovery, which, as you note, uh, has been most pronounced in intermodal, forest products, and automotive, just curious if you have a sense for how much of that might be inventory restocking versus consumers pivoting their spending to goods over services, and to the extent that it's restocking, how much of a backlog is there still left to move? So, Keith, you want to address that? Thanks, Sherilyn, for, uh, for the question. Um, it's a little of both. Uh, as we talk to our customers, most specifically our overseas customers, they're still seeing um, uh, an opportunity for restocking, some say, uh, into the first quarter. Um, that, that, that There's that much of a, a replenishment that's required. But I also do think that that trade for um, – um, you know, uh, buying sprees versus uh, going on vacations is happening. I'm sure it's happening in everybody's uh, household in, in, on the call. So uh, we see a little of both there. So thank you for your question. Yeah, and at the port right now, the business is still very high, right? So the fall peak actually is lasting, and there will be a very stronger fall peak this year. Thank you, Sherilyn. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Ravi Shankar from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, Governor everyone. Uh, Islan, uh, I, I get the logic of not introducing full-year guidance when you only have one quarter to go, uh, but uh, can you give us any color on kind of how we think of 4Q from here in terms of other incremental margins or OR, kind of given the pace of the volume recovery, do you expect um, kind of a, a really strong fourth quarter, or kind of how do we uh, frame that at this point? Yeah, not even a quarter left to go, but just like, Yeah, I mean, Ravid, uh, we, we try to get away from uh, quarterly guidance, but I'll tell you, and, and as I said in, in my remarks, we do provide our volumes both on car loads and on, on RTM on a weekly basis. And if you look, and I think our car loads now month to date um, in October, I think they're up 6 or 7%. So, I mean, I think we're, uh, we're doing quite well. Uh, James mentioned the fact that, um, that the grain has been a star commodity. Grain, grain works. I mean, whether there's pandemic or not, people need to eat. Good news is on the, uh, on the significant investments that CN is making on the grain hopper cars, we will advance some of those cars that were slated to, uh, to come in Q1. Actually, in January, we're going to advance uh, about uh, 800 of those cars in Q4, and I think that will uh, will help uh, get us uh, started well uh, in um, on grain uh, in in uh, in front of the winter. And uh, so, listen, I think check our volumes every every week. And uh, but I think right now we're 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 quite positive and quite favorable on what's happening. Yeah, Ghislaine loves grain, and. Uh just as a reminder, I think this quarter, talking about mix, the KPI for volume to look to track would be more the RTM. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mr. 
Thank you. The next question is from Benoit Poirier, Desjardins Capital. Please go ahead. Hello, Benoit. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Could you talk a little bit about the fact that you've been short on resources in Q3, maybe quantify the impact on the OR, and maybe also about the available resources, employees that can be bring back online with the uh, number of cars and locomotives? Thank you. Yeah, that'd be a good question for Rob. We manage things quite uh, tightly in the third quarter. You want to talk about the resource, uh, Rob? Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for the question, Benoit. So as you said, uh, we saw s uh, sequential volume increases month over month over month in the third quarter. Actually entered the quarter on a, on a depressed uh, uh, number. We were down 17% for the month of July. That improved to 9% in, uh, in August, and it was actually flat in September, and we're up 6% to 7% as Jason just spoke to in, in October. Actually managed it quite well. Um, you know, as, as stated, it was a V-shaped recovery. We had over 700 locomotives out of service, nearly 4,000 people furloughed in thousands of cars. And we mobilized that quite quickly and, uh, and really have the railroad running very, very fluid. Throughout that, though, we were able to stretch ourselves. And, you know, as we said, we didn't bring back resources one-to-one. -one, and we found coming out of this V-shaped recovery, we can actually uh, do more with less. We've had permanent cost takeout uh, in terms of switching yards and locomotive shops shut down. We can we finished the consolidation of our dispatch centers this time last year. We had three of those in Canada. Now we have one. So uh, we've actually done a really nice job. The velocity, uh, train velocity, car velocity, and dwell are actually back up there to where they were at last uh, last year at this time. So. Really a heck of a job with a significant downturn in the second quarter, only to spike back here in the third quarter. Really proud of the team. Very Thanks proud of the question. team, yeah, of the return of a lot of our employees back to work, uh, which I think is a good thing for a lot of families out there. Capacity is a little tighter than it was, and uh, the marketing team is asked to actively manage yield. So it is one of our team here in the quarters to come. Thank you, Benoit. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Chris Weatherby from City. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Um, you know, maybe touching a little bit on yields or, or cents per RTM and maybe kind of getting into the mix breakdown and maybe price and fuel. Can you sort of disaggregate a little bit of the cents per RTM for us? It seems like mix was a little bit of a bigger headwind for you. I just want to make sure I understand sort of what are the main drivers there and then maybe how you see that going forward. I know it's difficult to predict, but maybe sort of thoughts around fourth quarter. Yeah, so we've given a lot of thought to that. So, James, maybe you, you want to give the, uh, the broader picture from the broader portfolio of CM? Yeah. So big picture, if you think about it, you know, the, the mix change we had in Q3 was driven significantly by the decline in, in energy car loads, P&C uh, car loads, crude, jet fuel and the like, as you would expect. We reallocated that capacity to move a record amount of uh, grain volume. So we traded off some long haul, 2,500 mile um, crude business for 1,200, 1,500 mile uh, grain haul. So uh, moving forward, um, you know, we think we're going to see a rebalancing, some of that crude business coming back, uh, certainly not to that 2019 level, but uh, we're going to see a little bit of a rebalancing on mix. Keith, you want to talk a little bit about the port side? Sure. You know, um, uh, we, we, we love our uh, overseas uh, intermodal business and the fact that we have a very balanced approach. Uh, however, in the third quarter with the, uh, with the large influx of, um, of uh, imports that happened very, very quickly, the boxes were not able to go through the supply chain and get the exports to go back out to match up uh, one for one or, uh, you know, uh, on, an, on as much an equal basis as we normally have. So that, that was another thing that hurt us uh, that, that may have showed up in your, uh, your RTMs as well. So a tsunami of import and uh, quite a bit of a lag on export. So a huge train moving with empty platform that's, that's affecting, that was affecting the mix uh, this summer. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. The next question is from Fadi Shamoun from BMO. Please go ahead. Hello, Fadi. Okay, thank you. Um, hi, guys. Thank you uh, for taking the question. So, um, 
I'm trying to square a little bit the differences. Like if I look at your quarter over quarter, um, like Q3 versus Q2 uh, revenue increase and operating income increase, it seemed like incremental were under 50%, like high 40%. Uh, at the same time, it looks your operating metrics kind of performed really well in the quarter, like Rob went through all this data on uh, train length and weight and all this kind of stuff. Like, what, what, what explains kind of the muted leverage that we saw here in the third quarter, and how should we think about this going into Q4? You want to talk about that? Yeah, I think, um, I think when you look at it, um, Fadi, there's um, there was some labor expense that uh, that came in that uh, are not necessarily uh, related to headcount. I mean, when you look at it, there was uh, when we talked about the labor variance, there was about a 30 million dollar of um, of two things. Number one, uh, a reversal of an accrual, of a bonus accrual of last year, of about a third of that, and then two thirds of it was a true up into our incentive compensation related to related to some performance uh, performance um, share units so so that is that is a cost that uh, that came in that's a variance that came in uh, on a quarter to quarter basis that uh, that is not necessarily related to uh, to headcount again uh, depreciation continues to be a headwind uh, we've said that uh, you know we said it was 130 million headwind at the beginning of the year so that hits you uh, every quarter uh, about evenly and then the pension is a headwind as well, and we've said that pension was about 50 million. I, I'll tell you, it's still about 50 million. Um, so those are some of the things that uh, that you may not see uh, when you look at the metrics that are in our costs. And maybe one last thing, Fadi. We've reopened our training center in Winnipeg and uh, Chicago, meaning that we will have unproductive labor here uh, because we are training people to. Uh, meet the expected volume growth of 2021, which is something uh, they were closed second quarter and only reopened mid-summer. Thank you for your question. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Scott Group from Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Afternoon, guys. So I, I just want Hello. to go back to that. La I just want to go back to that last question because I think he was asking about sequential incremental margins where depreciation was down and pension probably wouldn't be a sequential headwind. So ultimately, though, should we be thinking about give or take 50% incrementals or better or worse going forward? And then maybe just two specific modeling questions. Other revenue was down 25% year over year, down sequentially. Any thoughts there? And then comp per employee was up 12% year over year. Any thoughts there? Just a couple big. Slane, uh, you want to expand on that? Earlier, earlier question. Yeah, I think um, I think as I said, the the um, the, um, the bonus and the uh, the accrual that I've just talked about in labor uh, explains part of it for sure, and um, I think that's that's what it is. And then Thank just you. those other parts nope. on other revenue and the, the questions on other revenue and comp employee going forward. James, you want to talk about other revenue? Yeah, I think our, our vessel revenue was slightly down on a sequential basis, you know, as would be expected. You know, we came into COVID. This, I'm talking on the range here, on the iron yeah. range here. You know, we had a lot of um, activity on the iron range, very good results, but we were drawing down the inventory at a very, very fast pace with our with our vessel fleet. Um, so we had slight decrease on uh, on the vessel side of the revenue. The other revenue decrease, I'm not uh, I'm not seeing that so. Yeah, so we move less iron ore by vessel yeah, yeah. in the third quarter than we did the year before. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Walter Spracken from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so I'd like to turn to um, to Halifax, and, and certainly with the strike at the Port of Montreal, you had the opportunity uh, to see how Halifax would react to um, uh, to some of the volume that was diverted there. Now, obviously, that came. They were, you know, you know, that was uh, unexpected. You know, preparation obviously had to come in fairly quickly. But JJ, when you look at uh, and, and assess how Halifax did and how it stepped up with regards to 
uh, when when the Port of Montreal went down. How, how would you characterize it, and what what was learned from that that can be improved as as hopefully volumes expand into the east? Um, what, what what capacity uh, pinch points might you be able to address uh, in the future? Yeah, so maybe I'll take that one. So the uh, we never serve the city of Montreal as such. The city of Mon- the Greater Montreal is always served directly with vessel coming in right into the city. So we're usually not set up to serve the city 100% by rail from another port. And with only a 72-hour notice, uh, strike notice, obviously what ended up happening is actually one of the reasons why our mix in the third quarter was worsened, because we had to send empty train to Halifax to pick up the import. Uh, we had basically sort of a one-way freight. The export were already engaged at the port and it couldn't, couldn't get out of the port because of the strike. And then we were bringing freight to Montreal and uh, as one-way freight and not a whole lot of going back. So from a, from a profit yield point of view, this strike was not the best from a, from a CN's point of view. The other thing is when you get a 72-hour notice and you have all this tsunami of freight coming at you on a short notice to our terminal in Tashro, we had to open temporarily a terminal in Valleyfield. We also had to op- open temporarily a ramp in, uh, in uh, just close to the office here because of the... Uh, of kind of a one-time uh, effect, if you wish. But, but from a PSA and CN point of view, obviously, with a little more notice than 72 hours, we can we can move a lot more freight from the maritime, and we could also move it very balanced, uh, you know, with, with uh, what typically would be coming out of uh, Montreal. So I'm not sure that this whole exercise was uh, the, the conclusion of anything, because in, in strike time, uh, when you ne- we only get very short notice, uh, I mean... It's, it, no, no customer really get the kind of service they would like to get when uh, vessel out of position or, and train out of position and terminal are not prepared for the, the labor required to respond overnight to uh, something of that. Yeah, extent. Like but to, we did the best we could to help the city of Montreal. Yeah, Walter, I'd like to add a little piece to that. And as we're not a we're not a one trick pony here, um, you know, it wasn't just that uh, we had vessels uh, diverted to uh, Halifax. We had vessels diverted to St. John, which we handled very well. We also had vessels diverted to New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia that we handled very well. So we have multiple outlets for our customers uh, at each one of our um, uh, gateways where we can handle the freight. So um, you know that y- you have to take all of that volume together and look at it versus just one place. That makes sense. Appreciate the color, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Brian Osenbeck from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon. One more question on, on mix, but from the operational side. Uh, can you quantify just how much impact that had in the system with the mix shift and some of the dislocations you saw during the quarter? Imagine that would be more one-time in nature compared to the top-line impact. And then when you look at the service metrics uh, for intermodal and in bulk, both those were trending down year-over-year in, in the quarter. Uh, was that something that was impacted because of the mix shift, or what, what caused that, and, and how did those look to start the fourth quarter? So maybe, Ryan, I can start, and then I'll pass it on to, to James. But uh, the thing about the strike in Port of Montreal, that's obviously just a one-time, right? Uh, they're back in operation, and actually one of the shipping line has added one call in Halifax as a result of the, what the, you know, their, their dissatisfaction with the fact there was a labor disruption. Uh, on the West Coast, there was a tsunami of freight coming in, uh, and then it took a little while for the export to resume. Our train balance is going to get a little better here at time, meaning that export from North America back to Asia was eventually get back to a level that is uh, conducive to the amount of import. But the real thing that uh, is sort of circular that we have to work on is there's not as much crude, there's not as much uh, diesel and jet fuel, there's not as much frac then. That's a fact. It will take a while before the energy market recovers. And uh, we're going to be moving more domestic intermodal freight, more overseas freight, more grain. And, uh, and therefore, as I said earlier, when we allocate the slot on the, on, on the network, we want to be mindful of which train gets the green light and that uh, each train that gets the green light is a train that's worthy to be on, on the network because we've invested capital money uh, to create that uh, that capacity. So I, I think, I don't know, anything, anything else you want to add, Keith, regarding when will export start to be more balanced with import? 
They're, they already are. Right already now. are. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we we have uh, we have a lot of um, you know uh, boxes that are heading to the prairies to pick up exports uh, and and all of our other transloads across our network. Um, I would also say that, uh, as, as James set uh, records again for uh, grain movements, um, in the second quarter we talked about record grain movements in containers. Uh, we didn't get close, we didn't get as close to the record levels of containers uh, uh, with grain in them, but it was very, very close, up, uh, up significantly over last year. So I think we're there with the uh, balance. And Brian, as far as how the railroad's running, we're, we're very fluid and in really good shape going into the winter. We're actually handling more volume than we did this time last year in uh, really good shape. So we've worked through it. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, very solid uh, growth on mile right now in the network. Thank you for uh, adding that, Rob. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. The next question is from Kornak Gupta from Scotia Capital. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, and thanks for taking my question. Um, so just my one uh, would be how do you think about uh, margin improvement into 2021 next year as volumes uh, are recovering here obviously into the year end and heading into the next year and you are onboarding new contracts obviously we heard a lot about uh, the opportunities you have uh, that you have kind of sealed like coal intermodal grain automotive and all those things uh, but how should we think about margin improvement coming from those contracts and organic recovery thanks Shanae, you want to talk about this without getting into guidance yeah, I think, listen, I think as, um, as uh, 2021 comes, and uh, if you look at, um, you know, a consensus came out this week, actually, that, uh, you know, uh, people believe that next year, either GDP or industrial production will be up 4 or 5% versus uh, 2020. So obviously, um, you know, not only us uh, as a railroad, but economists are seeing a recovery uh, coming next year, and as we do recover, and, and uh, Rob uh, talked about this, where we're not adding people one for one, um, and we have done some permanent uh, some permanent changes uh, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, therefore, you can expect our margins to continue to improve, and, and as we continue to deploy our technology, remember that we have um, you know very exciting techno technological projects that that are and will create value. Then you can expect that with all of this. Um, and then our focus on yield management, you can expect that all of this will, uh, will help us continue to improve margins on a going forward basis. And we're quite, we're quite optimistic about this. Rob, you want to add maybe some color on, on costs for, for just broadly speaking for next year? Right. We have, uh, we have really good momentum, as I talked about. Uh, you know, we figured out ways to do it uh, more efficiently through this pandemic, and we, we expect that to stick. So we're seeing that here as we go into Q4 and and certainly as we go into next year. Thank you, and uh, do, you, do you have any permanent cost out initiatives that are pending right now, as in they, they will take place next year? I, I didn't hear, hear all that, I'm sorry. So you have some permanent cost out initiatives that you have taken, right, this year. Uh, are there any cost initiatives that are running into next year? Yeah, absolutely. As we go into the plan for next year, we'll we'll double down on what we did this year and and have some new initiatives as we go into 2021 to take a more cost. And we'll have the full year effect of what we've done this year. Next year, we'll have the full year effect of those takeouts. So, so I think we're quite optimistic about um, about our plan going forward, um, Conart. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from John Chappelle from Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, you touched on this a little bit so far, Keith, but uh, the intermodal volumes have been incredibly strong, both on an absolute and a relative basis. How much of that is Rupert and Vancouver taking share from some of the congestion-related issues in, in Long Beach and L.A.? And given the fluidity of your network that you've spoken about, What's your confidence in being able to maintain that market share when uh, the imbalance across the entire North American system somewhat normalizes? Yeah, thank Pete? you. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks, uh, Jonathan. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves on creating these, um, so these opportunities for the supply chains to be, um, um, you know, servicing customers in U.S., Midwest, and Canada for long periods of time. If you look at uh, whether it's a shift um, of uh, – business away from the U.S. Uh, West Coast, or if it's a, a, a 
change from um, uh, one carrier to another carrier. Uh, I think that they all know that the Rupert and the Vancouver gateways into the U.S. Midwest on CN is something that works, and it works well. Um, I know that I've read a lot of articles that are out there talking about how much could shift over the next five to ten years. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're doing all we can to make sure that these supply chains are resilient. We provide the matchback for our uh, ocean customers. It allows them to have a uh, profitable economic uh, round trip uh, experience. And, um, you know, we, we are priding ourselves on um, putting the capacity in line with what our partners are doing as they increase their capacity so that we're working in lockstep so that we don't have the pinch points that cause those problems where people have to move away from a supply chain that we've created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and maybe just Thank to add, Rupert is running at capacity right now, right? So it's a 1.35 uh, million TU annualized this fall. So it's not about taking more freight. It's about selecting the freight. Thank you, JJ. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from David Vernon from Bernstein. Please go ahead. Hey, good evening. Thanks for the uh, time. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Keith or maybe JJ, if you look across the, the eastern ports in the network, you're going to be effectively sort of doubling capacity on a future basis. I'm just wondering, how long do you think it will take to grow into that uh, um, capacity expansion at the ports? And do you anticipate any need to kind of up spending on the line of road to connect all that traffic that is on what is today relatively low density lines? I think quite. I think, he, I think he was question. asking about the East Coast. Yeah. 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 The so, East Coast ports. Yeah, we just had it was a little muffled. It was harder to hear you. Um, Sorry. We. Yeah, that's okay. Um, as as our partners increase their capacities, and as uh, as uh, we work with them from a marketing standpoint to increase uh, the business that that's going through there. Um, our eastern network is underutilized. You've heard JJ say it numerous times before. It was built for the uh, industrial period where a lot of manufacturing was uh, was up and running. That is not up and running now. And and the uh, some of that railroad is uh, the best we have. I mean, it's uh, you know double, triple tracked in certain places, and uh, we can handle the volumes. And um, that's why we're pushing so hard. Uh, with our partnerships in the east to uh, to sell the additional uh, capacity out, um, and and I think we will. Uh, you know, uh, the Halifax uh, the Halifax to Chicago Midwest corridor is going to be one that uh, two or three or four years from now you're going to see it um, you're going to see it probably at least doubled uh, from what it is today. Um, as JJ said, we have uh, customers that want to bring uh, vessels there today. And uh, we're continuing our marketing efforts with uh, with PSA to uh, fulfill that. And I think Kate, you also have some development in uh, Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, I guess um, uh, our uh, our our good partner Maersk has announced a um, a vessel that nor- normally uh, first call of Houston is now the first call in Mobile, and that's a direct uh, um, that's a direct service from Busan, Korea. So uh, we hope to see uh, automotive traffic on that that would go up into the U.S. Midwest. And uh, we also hope to see some other uh, um, opportunities for exports um, going going that way as well. So uh, we're, we're glad to see that our partner, Maersk, has, uh, has uh, put that uh, first call, first port of call in. Thank you. Tree Coast Network. Thank you, David. Thank you. The next question is from... Jason Siddle from Cohen. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you, operator. Uh, good evening, guys. JJ, you, you talked uh, a little bit about some of the uh, long-term threats, and you mentioned uh, autonomous trucks. I was actually happy that you brought that up. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how yourself and the rest of the rail industry can can work to combat that as it does eventually show up in the marketplace. Yeah. So thank you for that question. I think a number of us here, uh, you know, when we look long-term, uh, we, we, we know we're convinced at some point uh, the competition from uh, from the from the road uh, it will get more intense. Therefore, we need to work on our costs. We need to go to eventually also work on how many how many people we have on the cab to be able to to operate. But driverless truck, there's a lot of capital money, startup money going into driverless truck. It's something that we would like to study from the inside of the tent. Uh, more to come on that. 
And then uh, it, it's a question of uh, when is it going to happen? How do we get prepared for it? How do we leverage our benefit? And how do we understand it such that uh, rather than being a victim of driverless truck, that we are a, one of the potential user of what uh, that might do, namely for our intermodal network. So all I'm saying here is without getting the detail of what we have in mind, we recognize it is real, and we don't want, we don't want to be caught up on the blind side. So, A, we recognize it, and B, we're getting prepared for it. So, But uh, if you look at the southern U.S., no snow, no ice, nice big highway, long haul, yep, uh, it, it will happen at some point in the next five years, or depending on your crystal ball. Thank you for bringing that up. It's actually an important point. All right. Thank you for the uh, time. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Alison Landry from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Oh, good afternoon, thanks. Um, so your competitor talked this morning about potentially being able to achieve a, a mid-50s OR in 2021. And I know that the OR is not the end-all, be-all, but I was hoping you could speak to how you're thinking about what the right balance is between the, the OR growth and ROIC's longer term. Yeah, maybe I can start. Definitely, we're at CN. We're into the balancing of the two, right? So balancing EPS growth, balancing free cash flow growth, total shareholder return, and balancing you know, what, does, what does the OR come in to be able to do that? And when we look at 2021, you also have to understand a little bit about the crude contract and all of these things that are in this confidential contract. But I think it's about balance. What do you think, Ghislaine? Yeah, I think I think Allison. I mean, and we've said this uh, many times. Um, we're not to, to JJ's point. It's about balance. We're not enamored with, with the OR. We want to preserve our foundation, uh, and we've implemented PSR 15 years ago. And uh, we'd rather be a 25 billion dollar, a 59 uh, OR than be a 15 billion dollar at uh, at 56. I mean, just do the math. So. I think that uh, really, as uh, as we move forward and as we, you know, focus on yield and as we, you know, uh, get more and more benefits from our technology deployment, I think that you can expect the uh, DOR to improve. And um, and I would say, you know, stay tuned. I think that uh, I think that our our game plan works extremely well. I mean, uh, and um, and that's what I would say. I would say that uh, you know we don't. We don't have a specific target on OR for 2021. That's not the way we think at CN. We have opportunities, and we are, are, are focused on executing on these opportunities, and the OR will be the result of execution on these opportunities. Yeah, yeah. But we definitely have a vision of growth. We definitely have a vision of a profitable growth. So when you talk about profitable growth, this is where you want to make uh, good use of your capacity. You don't give it out to everybody. You make smart use of it. You want to price it properly. But at the same time, you want to be able to grow when the, the business is available. That's something that provides a decent return investment and, uh, you know, the, the type of APS growth that we're looking for. So OR in itself, I think, in fact, in our compensation system here at CN, we don't have OR as one of the bonus factors. So that in itself, I think, tells you, uh, you know, how we balance things out. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the question, Allison. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from... Tom Waterwitz from UBS. Please go ahead. Hello, Tom. Uh, yeah, good afternoon. So I just wanted to see if you could offer some thoughts on uh, what the potential growth might be for, you know, from an RTM perspective in 2021. If we look at, you know, prior periods where you came off some weakness, so if you look at like 2010, I think you had 12% RTM growth, uh, approaching 11 in 2017. So is it reasonable, do you think, to look at 2021 and say maybe you can be kind of similar ballpark to that, or are there reasons why you'd be, you know, kind of more muted than a, you know, 10 percentage type of number when you look to uh, 2021? Mm -hmm. Well, we are, as I said earlier, Tom, we have reopened our training center in Chicago in, in Winnipeg, so they give you a sense that, uh, A, we want to be sure that we replace and, you know, through the normal attrition, and B, that we have, we are creating capacity, train strut capacity to handle more volume. We also talked about the uh, the mix of business post-COVID versus pre-COVID uh, because of the impact of COVID on the energy sector. So we're working on that mix aspect. 
same store price is always above uh, rail inflation. And then, you know, there's a lot of things to be unknown. The Canadian U.S. election, maybe Canadian election. Uh, how will this phase of uh, second wave that seems to maybe will last all winter, how will it shape out? But we would like to see definitely to 2021 to be a little closer or better than 2019. That would be that would be that would be one of our aspiration here for the sake of our employee and for the economy. But uh, we're preparing for growth definitely, and uh, and then time will tell what kind of economy uh, is available to us. But whatever happens, we want to at least ride and outperform the economy. So we always said it's kind of GDP plus. So we, we want to be able to move the economy and slightly more, which has always been uh, our target, whether it's in good time or bad time. So try to outperform the economy. You know, all boat rise with the economy. Can we rise a little faster than the average? We'll give you more uh, at the first qu- at the next quarter next quarter call when we have guidance for 2021, and we will most likely will have guidance at that time. Okay, but it, it sounds like you think looking back at 2019 and maybe doing better than that is a, a reasonable framework. It would be nice. So we'll we'll wait to see a little more of the, what the crystal ball is from all the economists as we get late in the year and prepare our guidance for uh, the third week of January. Thank you, Tom. Great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Selden Clark from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Hey, good evening. Thanks for the question. Um, just getting back to some of the uh, earlier commentary on, on margin progression and operating leverage as you move through 2020, um, if you just normalize for the incentive comp accrual uh, and try and you know, think about the cadence of asset deployment uh, relative to the recovery in volumes, um, should should underlying operating leverage then improve from 3Q to 4Q relative to what you, you saw uh, from 2Q to 3Q? Yeah, Just thanks, thanks. Uh, Selden. Yeah. Like we tried to get away from providing uh, quarterly guidance, Selden. So I think, um, I think frankly, you know, we, uh, Rob's team did a tremendous job to adapt very quickly to the heart of the pandemic in the second quarter. I think uh, the team did an outstanding job now supporting uh, the recovery, and the recovery came quite fast, and it came into some key markets uh, versus others that created this mix issue that, uh, that we've talked about. And I think that, uh, you know, again, we, um, we're being very careful on the assets we're bringing back on the railroad. We're being very careful on the people we're bringing back on the railroad, not on a one-on-one. And um, and then that's that's what I can offer as as, as a bit of color, and uh, you know obviously we're using uh, the current situation to improve on efficiency and improve on productivity, and um, and I would say that that's what I can offer. I think that uh, I think that we're quite pleased with this quarter. Uh, we're very pleased with this quarter and and delivering a, a, an OR that starts with a five. And, and I think that, uh, as I said, our volumes are up on a year-over-year year basis in, Q, uh, in uh, October uh, by 6 or 7%. And, and I think that uh, there's two more months to go, and uh, the team is energized. And uh, we've got some good uh, – we've got better visibility in front of us than we did in the past. Um, and, uh, but there's still some uncertainty. I mean, uh, I know here in Montreal we're living a second wave of uh, the pandemic. So we have to see and, and be cautiously optimistic about what's happening but at this time, uh, so far, uh, we're quite pleased with the volumes coming at us in October. Yeah, leave no doubt that right now the railroad is busy. Yeah. I mean, definitely the railroad is busy. And, uh, you know, if we're given the opportunity, you know our track record to grow revenue. I mean, we, have, we do have a track record the last decade. And we work on our OR like everybody else. We want to be the leading pack. And we, we do same store price above inflation. So if, if we get, could get a little luck, or a little uh, better environment on the economic side, uh, uh, I think uh, we, we should have a decent year, decent year in 2021. Thank you, Sheldon. Appreciate the time. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from Jordan Alliger from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Just uh, coming back to a question that I think had come up 
earlier, not sure if it was directly answered on the cost per employee and perhaps headcount as we think forward from here. Um, I assume a fair bit of that normalizes with some of these headwinds moving out of the way, but if you can any color on that, that would be great. Thanks. So maybe, maybe Rob, you could just talk about, uh, you know, the way we're on train right now and some of the positive impact on the train land, train weight, and uh, on the regular operation, maybe that, that could help. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I said it in my comments, what we saw with train length and how we were able to move more freight with fewer crew starts. Our crew starts were down 14% while volume was down 7 We continued with that focus into the fourth quarter. We're actually moving more freight with about 2,500 less employees in, in operations year over year. Our labor productivity for this third quarter was actually up 17% year over year. So some really good momentum going into the fourth quarter. We're going to continue to, to look for every every opportunity to make it more efficient. But uh, And the railroad's running quite well. We're in good shape here going in, as evidenced by seven straight record months of grain movement. And uh, we'll be talking here in about 10 days, 10, 11 days, about an A straight. So Very good. Okay. Thank you, Jordan. We take time for one more. Certainly. The next question is from Justin Long from Stevens. Please go ahead. Hello, Justin. Thanks. Thanks for fitting me in. Um, in the prepared remarks near the beginning of the call, you talked about pulling forward some of the modernization of the network. I was wondering if that's something that's changed the way we should be thinking about the framework for CapEx as a percent of revenue as we look ahead to, to next year and beyond. And then also on the topic of CapEx, as volumes have returned, have you reconsidered the pace of your locomotive modernizations? Rob, you want to talk about uh, rolling stock and technology? Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll you'll see us continue to invest in technology. I'll let Gislon answer the uh, the capex, but uh, the capex piece of it we haven't finalized that for next year anyway. But uh, you'll con you'll continue to see us uh, um, invest in technology. We feel like we're a leader there in a lot of different things. You know, let's take take a few moments to talk about some of the things we're doing out there. As I said, our autonomous track inspection cars. Uh, are now in phase two. That allows us to have a safer railroad. Those are entrained in regular revenue service. And now in phase two, we're actually able to remove uh, regulated uh, inspections as well. On our autonomous inspection portals, we have 41 algorithms now. We'll have 55 by the end of the year. We have seven of those portals. We'll have 100 by this time next year. Why that's important is that those algorithms will be ours. That's really the value, is, is the ownership of the algorithms. Anybody can put a portal in there, but to use the machine learning and artificial intelligence to teach it, to find a defect on the, the hundreds of different types of cars with the different components on each car, that is the value. And that's what we're seeing out there today. We're actually finding defects on a daily basis and we're actually finding some significant defects that, if left unchecked, could lead to something uh, much more uh, impactful. So we'll continue to, to invest. We've got a, a new chief information technology officer here on board who is uh, all in in terms of advancing us uh, to the next level in terms of operations technology. And maybe, maybe on CapEx, uh, Justin, I think that, uh, again, as JJ mentioned, we will provide more, uh, more color on 2021 uh, in, uh, on the January earnings call. But I can tell you that, you know, we're quite, we're quite comfortable. Um, and if you look at historically, we've typically, uh, our capital envelope was typically around 20% of revenue. We had two years of elevated CapEx, a little bit of catch up in 18 and 19 at 25%. I think that uh, we did we did caught up. I think that now we're staying ahead of the game. And I think that, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're comfortable in that ballpark. And, uh, but again, we'll provide more color uh, in January. So uh, stay tuned on that one. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jusle and Rob. And thank you all for all your questions. Maybe I have time to close it up here. Just want to be sure everybody, you know, is, uh, is, uh, we, we make our commitment uh, very clear that we're, we, we are pricing above uh, inflation. Uh, we, we are managed, the commercial team is managing the yield, and Rob's team is really driving productivity. 
We generate steady and solid, solid cash flow. We're the industry leader as it comes to moder- you know, making the rail industry modern. We're, we're the industry leader on ESG, not just on fuel, but on ESG as well. And uh, we have good momentum right now on volume entering the fourth quarter, and uh, it looks good for the remaining of the year. And we're, we're positive, constructively positive, uh, about 2021 and what uh, 2021 might offer to us. So focus on long-term. CN is about the long-term. CN is about sustainable, profitable growth and all that. Uh, good night to all of you. This is the end of the call, and see you back in January. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.